Well, there's been a lot of uh, hype and publicity about uh, the latest uh, Star Wars film. Some of you I know have been to see it, and others are looking forward to seeing it. Of course, the original actors from the first three films have been called back to star in, in this latest one. So you've got Mark Hamill, who was Luke Skywalker. don't think he did anything else much after that, did he? But Carrie Fisher, Princess Leia, and uh, Harrison Ford, who's playing Han Solo. Um, Harrison Ford has been seen in other places and in other films, but in other places as well. A few years ago, he's been seen sailing a narrowboat down the Slangotlan Canal. Well, why not? And uh, can you imagine the gossip that would have been involved in people seeing Harrison Ford coming towards them on his longboat, uh, not his longboat, his narrowboat, not a Viking, and, uh, and say, wow, look who that is, look who that is. And then the gossip that would take place after in the coffee shop, guess who I saw? Guess who I saw sailing past me on the canal down to Slangotlan? Well, it must have been a little bit like that in Bethlehem, mustn't it? When those wise men uh, arrived, who were these guys? They wouldn't have fitted in, would they? They would have been seen to be different. If it was uh, South Wales, they'd probably be saying, guess who I saw last night? Rich guys, foreigners, they'd be saying. <laughs> foreigners. What on earth are they doing here in Bethlehem, of all places? What are they doing here? And if you had to complete an ID card for these people, what would you write? Names. Matthew doesn't tell us. Tradition has given them names, but we don't know their names. Uh, place of birth or residence from the east. Well, where's that? Matthew doesn't tell us. Could have been Persia, which is a modern-day Iran. Could have been Babylon. Modern-day Iraq. Interesting, isn't it? People coming from that part of the world, coming to Bethlehem. Occupation. Magi. Where we get the word magic from. Uh, some think they were astrologers. Were they fortune tellers? Some think they were more like scientists, observing the planets and the stars, suggesting that they were educated people. We're not even sure how many there were. Tradition says there were three because of the three gifts, but we don't know how many there were. But they were clearly, well, probably wealthy with the gifts that they bring. So we don't know much about them at all. Matthew doesn't seem to be very interested in giving us the profile of, of the Magi because that's not the main point. Why are they mentioned then? Why are they mentioned? Well, the theme seems to be kingship. The theme seems to be all about kingship in these verses. The only words that they are given are what? Did you spot them? The only speaking words that these wise men or magi are given are what? Where is he who is born king of the Jews? That's the only words they speak. We're looking for the king. Where is he? We've seen his star. We've come to worship him. That's all they say. So the theme, I think, is kingship. They are pointing us to a king. 
That's what Matthew's telling us about. In fact, probably that's what Matthew's whole gospel is about. And so this morning, I want us to think briefly about a great king, the greatest king, and why we need a king. A great king, the greatest king, and why we need this king. Okay? So here we go. The great king. The great king is Herod the Great. Matthew tells us. This is set. Jesus is born, look at verse 1, during the time of King Herod. It puts us into real history. This is not Never Never Land. It's not fairy tale. It's a real town, real place with a real king. Bethlehem, four and a half miles from Jerusalem. You can go and visit it today. It's a real place. King Herod was a real king. Coins have been found with his inscription, his name on those coins. The portrait of him coming up, I think. That's perhaps what he might have looked like. We're not quite sure. That's some of the forts. That's a Masada, one of the forts or fortresses he built. His tomb was discovered a few years ago, eight and a half miles from Jerusalem. He wasn't, a, he wasn't a Jew. He was a foreigner as well. But the Romans made him king of that particular area in 37 BC. Why was he called Herod the Great? Well, he was a great builder. That's one example there. Masada, down towards the Red Sea. Uh, the Dead Sea, sorry. But there were others, Caesarea he built. He, he designed and built the temple in Jerusalem. It was only completed after he died. But he was this tremendous builder. Fantastic architect. Great. He was a great survivor as well, politically. A great survivor. He was paranoid and ruthless, killing all his enemies, determined to hold on to power. It's funny because when um, there was this kind of civil war in Rome between Mark Antony and, and uh, Augustus, um, he sided with Mark Antony, the losing guy, the losing side. But after Augustus had won, he met, Herod went to meet him and he persuaded him to keep him in power in this area. He was, a, he was a survivor, a great survivor. And of course, he caused great fear. He killed anyone he saw as a threat. And this included his wife, three of his sons, his mother-in-law, his brother-in-law, his uncle, and many others. Caesar Augustus said that he'd prefer to be Herod's sow than his son. It would have had a greater chance of survival in a Jewish community. Now, what if Herod, or, or Herod, one of Herod's descendants appeared on who do you think you are? What kind of a family tree would we have? Well, let's have a look. There's the family tree. There's Herod at the top, Herod the Great. Archelaus is mentioned. He was put in power in Jerusalem. The Romans got rid of him after 10 years because he was too ruthless. Can you imagine? This one here 
Herod Antipas um, is the one who killed John the Baptist. Remember that story? John the Baptist. And who interrogated Jesus at his trial. Uh, this one here was the one uh, whom uh, killed the apostle Peter. Apostle James, rather, and would have killed Peter. Remember, he had Peter in prison and he was going to kill him. And this one here is the one that Paul spoke to, he witnessed to, telling him about the resurrection of, of Jesus. What a family. You could almost call it an anti-Christ, anti-Christian family, persecuting the church. The point is, it's a real place, a real person. This is in reality. So it's no surprise when Matthew says, you know, when they, these wise men come and say, well, where's the king of the Jews? We've seen his star in the east. Uh, Herod and all Jerusalem are disturbed because the people in Jerusalem know that some, someone's going to die. Someone's going to die because Jerusalem is not big enough for two kings. Now, why, why mention all this? Well, there's always a danger, isn't there? Talking about the Christmas story is that we think it's exactly like that. It's just a story. Many people think it's just a story. It's a bit like Star Wars, you know? Some people get really serious about Star Wars. But it's just fiction. It's just fiction. You know, I'm looking... People think, well, these Christians, they get really excited about this subject, Jesus being born. But, you know, it's just fiction. It's just a story. That's what people think. It's a bit like Toy Story. Remember the first Toy Story when Buzz Lightyear discovers that he can't fly after all? He thought he was this space ranger and he could fly and he realizes he can't fly after all. It's just a story. It's not true. But the gospel writers are saying, yes, it is true. These things happened in history. Herod is on the throne. Caesar Augustus is the Roman emperor. Quirinius is the governor of Syria. It's real. It really happened. Ah, but you say, well, it's the Bible. It's just the Bible telling us this. How can we test that? Well, there's an interesting chap called Josephus. There he is. He's a, he's a historian. He wrote about the history of the Jews. And he's writing at the, towards the end of the first century. He's not a Christian. But he writes something. In some of his writings, about this time, he writes about Jesus. Listen to what he says. About this time there lived Jesus, a wise man, if indeed one ought to call him a man. For he was one who performed surprising deeds and was a teacher of such people as accept the truth gladly he won over many jews and many of the greeks he was the messiah and when upon the accusation of the principal men among us pilate had condemned him to a cross those who had first come to love him did not cease he appeared to them spending a third day restored to life for well, the prophets of God had foretold these things and a thousand other marvels about him. And the tribe of the Christians, so called after him, 
has still to this day not disappeared. Now scholars debate some of those phrases, whether they're authentic from Josephus, who wasn't a Christian. He's not a, he's not a follower of Jesus. So scholars have debated some of those sayings. But what's not debatable, what's not up for debate, is some of the things he affirms. A man called Jesus living in that, in that time. The miracles and teachings he performed. The accusations by the Jewish leaders. His condemnation and crucifixion under Pontius Pilate. His resurrection claimed by his followers and his following, the tribe of Christians, still existing to this day. Now that's not information in the Bible. That's, that's outside the Bible, testifying to it and to what Matthew records. It's exciting when you think about that. When we remember, remind ourselves, the songs we're singing, the carols, the events of those wise men, the shepherds. Jesus being born. Mary and Joseph coming to Bethlehem. Really happened. It's not a fairy story. It's true. All in the days of this great king. Herod the Great. Ah, but Matthew doesn't want to tell us about him. Primarily. He wants to tell us about the greatest king. That's why he's written this book. So let's have a look and think about the greatest king. The greatest king. Jesus the Christ. What makes Jesus the greatest? What makes him greater than Herod? Well, King Herod must have known about this, this promise. Or this expectation. Jewish expectation about a Messiah. He must have known about it. Because when the Magi come and say, where's the king of the Jews? Where's the Messiah? He doesn't say, who are you talking about? He doesn't say that, does he? He's aware of the promise. He's aware of the hope. He couldn't Google Messiah, could he? So what does he do? Well, he does the next best thing. He calls the, uh, the scribes and the teachers of the law, the chief priests, the religious experts. How long it took them to give the answer, we're not told, but it seems as if it's fairly straight, fairly quick, isn't it? Where's the Messiah going to be born? They say, Bethlehem. How do they know? How do they know? Well, it's in the prophets. It's in the prophecy. It's from Micah. Out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. They recognize that as a promise of a Messiah. Micah wrote these words 700 years before these events. 700 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Remind, be mindful of that. His book was really a warning to the Jewish people. God's judgment is coming because you've turned away from him. But there's hope. The Messiah is coming. And it's very interesting. If you read on, you can look up in the, in the book of Micah in the Old Testament. This is the next thing that Micah says about this ruler. Okay, and we've got it coming up. This is the next thing he says. Look what it says. 
He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. His greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. That's the prophecy. He's not just going to be a, a tin pot ruler like Herod. His greatness is going to reach to the ends of the earth. How is that going to happen? How is that going to happen? Well, Matthew is going to tell us in the gospel. He tells us how it's going to happen. He gives us a picture of this king's life. He's the king who cares. He's the king who has compassion on people. He's the king who counsels. His teaching is second to none. And he's the king who conquers. At the end of the, of the book of Matthew's gospel, you turn with me to the end. That's the big, that we're looking at the beginning, but look at the end. How it ends with Jesus raised to life. And what does he say? Chapter 28 and verse 18. He, he, he appears to his disciples. What does he say? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. There's the claim. So, born in Bethlehem and in this obscure little place, no one really recognizing his birth. At the end, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. All nations will acknowledge his greatness. So Herod is a real king, but Jesus is the real and greater king. That's the message. That's the Christian message. You think about the contrast for a minute in the, in the table coming up. Herod, the great survivor, Jesus, Jesus is the great savior. Herod spends his life protecting himself, protecting his reign. Jesus gives his life. He lays down his life to save others. Herod is a great builder. Jesus is building his church. That's what we have in Matthew's gospel. On this rock I will build my church, he says. Church that is around and surviving even today. Herod was a great oppressor. I came across this uh, detail about Herod. Uh, he knew he was going to die. So towards the end of his life, he knew he was ill and he was going to die. And what he did was ar arrested thousands of Jews and detained them in a stadium in Jericho with the order that on his death they were all to be slaughtered to ensure that there would be mourning in Israel. That's the kind of man he was. Thankfully, those orders weren't carried out. But Jesus is the great liberator. Jesus is the great liberator. I have come, he says, that my followers may have life Life to the full. And I've come to lay down my life for the sheep. And millions of people have come to know that to be true. Who have come to trust in him. 
They, and they're willing to lay down their lives for him. Herod didn't have anybody like that. But Christ has millions of people today around the world who are willing to lay down their lives for him because he's the great liberator. He sets people free. And ultimately and thankfully, Herod was conquered by death. But Jesus is the conqueror of death. Jesus has risen again. I lay down my life only to take it up again, he says. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And so for all those reasons, Jesus the Christ is far greater than Herod the Great. Far greater. Do you believe this? Jesus asked a lady beside the tomb of her brother. Do you believe this? Do you believe it? Well, people might say this all may be very interesting, but what's it got to do with me? What's it got to do with me? Why should I believe this? Why do I need to hear this? Well, that's the third point. Why do we need this king? Why do we need this king? It's interesting, isn't it, that the Magi, what happens to them? These educated people, and wealthy people, what do they do? Well, they come and they bring their gifts, don't they? And uh, they bow down and worship him, verse 11. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. It's interesting to, to note how powerful stories of kings are in, in different cultures. How there's this longing for, for a real king, a true king. Someone who's going to come. Countless legends in different cultures. Chinese culture, and Japanese culture, South American culture. The idea of a king. A king who's going to come. In, in, in English, British culture, you've got the idea of King Arthur, haven't you? And the Knights of the Round Table and Camelot, where Camelot's this wonderful place because the, there's a real and good king on the throne and the place is flourishing because of that. Or you've got Robin Hood. Story of Robin Hood. What's that about? Robin Hood is fighting for justice. Why? Because Prince John is in charge and they're longing for King Richard to return, to come back and to sort things out. This longing for the king, the true king to come back. Lord of the Rings, if you're into that, the story is all about the real king to come, to overcome evil, to bring peace. Game of Thrones Hugely popular TV fantasy drama. Some people might be into that. All about power and kings. The true king. Lion king. Mufasa is murdered. This good king. The land plunges into darkness because of Scar the lion and the hyenas. And the place is longing for Simba 
to come back, the real king to come. And the land will flourish again. The world is full of legends about kings, the real king to come. Even countries that don't have any monarchs or have got rid of their monarchies are fascinated by royalty, fascinated by kings. Tim Keller suggests that Jesus the king stands behind all those longings, all those legends, all those hopes. Jesus the King stands behind them, the real King. Someone to make things right. Someone to bring shalom, peace. Someone to rule over us rightly and justly and fairly. Someone to whom you can really give your allegiance to and He won't let you down. And the message of the Bible is this. If you don't bow to the true king, you will bow to another king. You will be devoted to another king. And the problem with that is that the king you choose will always ultimately disappoint you, fail to deliver you, and ultimately destroy you. Someone has said, if you can't have food, eventually you'll eat poison. And if you don't have the true king, eventually you'll gobble up poisonous kings. If you reject the food for your soul, Jesus Christ, you'll be destroyed by your allegiance to something else. So think about that. Your king could be someone else this morning. Your king could be someone else. Could be a lover. Person you look to, to give yourself to. This person is the one who's going to bring you peace. This person is the one who's going to fulfill you. This comes up in our songs. The songs that uh, people listen to. If I got locked away and we lost it all today. Tell me honestly, would you still love me the same? If I showed you my flaws, if I couldn't be strong, tell me honestly, would you still love me the same? I need someone who's going to love me and I need someone who's going to deliver me and never let me down. Or if I ever lose my faith in you, there'll be nothing left for me to do. People sing like that. One person's got to solve all my problems. Or it could be a child. It could be a child. This child is the one who's going to solve your problems. You, 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 You pour everything into the devotion to your children. You live your dreams through your children. Like dads on the football field, at the side of the football field, with this pressure on their kids to succeed where they failed. And they put everything into it. Achievement, careers. Or it could be a hero, a celebrity, someone you look to who's going to solve your problems. Their words, their lyrics, their values. But no other human being can bear that weight. No other human being can bear that weight. 
Have you ever been driving along? There's a, there's a road, I, there's at least one I know in Middlewich, driving along in Middlewich, and you come to a sign, and it says, Weak Bridge. Well, what are you supposed to do with that sign? I don't know what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to try and think light as you drive over it. I don't know. But I think it's a warning, isn't it? It's a warning for articulated lorries or whatever. You can't drive over it. The, the, the bridge is too weak. It can only take so much weight. And when you, when you look to some other human being to be your king, to be your savior, to be your deliverer, to bring the peace that you, you desperately know that you need, they can't bear the weight of that. Your children can't bear the weight of that. You will crush them. You can't. So the relationship breaks up. The child rebels. The celebrity lets you down. That's what happens when the king is someone else. Or what if the king is something else? What if the king is entertainment? Music? Or film? Or sport? The end of the Star Wars premiere the other day in California, I think it was, someone came out of the, of the film, they were interviewing them, and he says, it was like a religious experience. That is for many. There's a, a religion now, I think, called the Jedi Knights or something. People are looking to something, looking to entertainment or achievement. The king of your life is achievement. Academic achievement can be the king of your life. That's the thing that motivates you the most. Your career, your promotion, the ladder of success, the applause of others, that's your king. What happens? Well, these things will rule you. You can devote your lives to them. They will rule you, and eventually they'll crush you. They can't deliver. You'll wake up one day maybe and say, what have I become? What have I become? I don't like it. Psalmist says, those who worship things like that, those who worship them will be like them. So will all who trust in them. Serving kings like this turns you into someone less than human. So which kings are we serving? If it's not the king, it'll be another king. It'll be another king, a substitute king. Or let me put it another way, just to conclude. In the form of a question, to whom are you giving your treasures? These kings came, these magi, they came to Jesus, they, they offered him their treasures. They devoted themselves to him. Well, to whom are you giving your treasures? Your the things that God has given you, the things that you've received, who you're giving those things to, your time, your love, your devotion, your energy, who you're giving your gifts to, in an ultimate sense. Elizabeth Elliot wrote a parable 
involving Peter and Jesus. This is not in the Bible. Don't go looking for it in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. I came across it the other day. And the Lord Jesus is walking with his disciples. And uh, he says to his disciples, I want you to carry a stone. So Peter didn't want to be you know, too uh, put out, so he picked up a little pebble. And he's carrying it. And they stop for lunch. And the Lord turns the stones into bread. Well, Peter's only got a little bit. <laughs> so, so then the Lord says, now carry another stone. So he looks around for a bigger... So he's got a big stone now and he's walking along. And they come to the, to the shores of the Sea of Galilee and, and the Lord says, right, throw the stone into the sea. So he throws in. He says, right, come follow me. And Peter looks angry and he looks upset. And the Lord says to him, who are you carrying the stone for? Who are you carrying the stone for? Who are we giving our devotion to? It reminds us, I suppose, that the greatest tyranny is ourselves, is this self. It looked like Peter was obeying Jesus. It looked like he was following, but really it was all about himself. Number one, that's the greatest tyranny. Why do you need Jesus to be your king? Why do you need Christ to be your king? Because only he can set you free from the tyranny of other kings. Only he can set you free from false kings and from the tyranny of self. And as you read on in Matthew's gospel, you find this king inviting you, inviting you to follow him. Matthew is the only gospel where we have these words. I want to close with these words. This is what Jesus says. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your soul. Can any other king give you that? My yoke is easy. And my burden is light. You see he's not a tyrant. He's not a tyrant. But he is the king. He is gentle and humble. But he calls us to follow him. And to give us rest. So we need to take his yoke. The picture is of cattle, I think, isn't it? A yoke of oxen. A yoke that comes onto the oxen so that they can plow. They can be productive. Keeps them together. Jesus says, come on, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. Trust in me. And you will find rest for your souls. Star Wars can't give you that. No other person and no other thing. So, this year, the year, as the year ends and 2016 begins, what about it? Take this king. Receive this king. What difference will it make? Well, you notice the Magi, they went home back. They went back home another route. They came and saw the king 
And they didn't go back the same way. No, they went back another route. They'll take a, they took a new route, having seen the true king. What route are you taking into 2016? Is it the same route? Is it the same route as this year and as last year and the year before? Is it going to be the same route or will it be a new route? Because you've come to see the true king. It might be a costly route. Jesus says it will be actually costly to follow him. But you're serving the true king. Follow the king, the true king, the real king, and he will give you rest. Well, let's pray together, and then we'll sing. Maybe you're not quite sure how you'd respond. This might be helpful. Something like this, these words to respond to the real king. Dear God, I know that I've been serving other kings up to now, other people, things, or myself. I don't deserve eternal life. I'm guilty of going against you. I need your forgiveness. But thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to be the true king, to set me free. Help me to trust in him, the one who died for my sins and rose again and who is alive forevermore. Help me to submit to him and to follow him from this day on, whatever else may come. I ask it in his name. Amen. Well, we're going to sing to close.